Welcome everyone to Seek, Go, Create. This is your host, Tim Winders. This is where we redefine success in leadership, business, and ministry. And uh, we're gonna have a great conversation about business and franchises and a lot of other things shortly. But before we do, I gotta, I gotta share with you, this is kind of putting a timestamp on this episode. We're recording this in the deep throngs of summer here. And as most of you know, I record from the passenger seat of our RV Theo, currently in South Dakota. And you gotta know, it's about 98 degrees outside. It's right in the middle of the day and I can't record with the air conditioner going because it's so loud. So I just want y'all to know what the host, Tim here is doing as a sacrifice for you, the listener, that I'm sitting here. And it's probably about 85 inside. I've got a little bitty fan going and I've got a wet cloth. So for those of you that may be watching via video, if you're on podcast, you won't know it, but I may be hitting the face with a wet cloth and maybe fanning myself. But uh, it is hot, hot, hot in here. And uh, we're gonna have a, a super cool, even though it'll be hot interview. So if you're sitting here going, wow, that Tim, he really pays the price, then it might be a great time to go give us a review or share or just show some love for uh, your host here that is doing the things that need to be done to bring you these great interviews. And uh, so thanks for that. And thanks for joining us. I'm glad you're here. And even though it is hot, I'm always excited about our interviews and about our conversations. Today, mm, I've got a great one here. And uh, most of you know, I'm a Georgia Tech guy. I've got a guy from University of Georgia. We're going to have fun. And he's actually in Atlanta, Georgia, my old hometown. So today, John Ostenson is our guest. He's a consultant, investor, author and international speaker specializing in the area of non-food franchising, non-food franchising. So franchising is a big topic today. He draws on his experience as both the president of an Inc. 500 franchise system and a multi-brand franchisee, and he's serving clients across many areas in those capacities. So John, welcome to Seek, Go, Create. Thanks for having me on, Tim. I've got to say, go dogs! And uh, excited to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I'll let you do that. I'll let you do that. That's fine. I'm cool, and I'm cool with that. And I, I think the heat might be frying my brain, so I'm not going to have any snappy comebacks or anything like that. But anyway, I love, I love all and most things UGA. Uh, again, especially a beautiful lady that I met in 1985 that was Miss University of Georgia at the time. Uh, so uh, anyway, I'm excited about that. Yeah, we may come back to that, but I like to ask first, right out of the gate, I gave you the warning for it, and you've got, a, you've got so many other things on your bio we could have talked about. You've, um, you've been quite accomplished in, uh, in, in the years you've been in business, but first question, I just like to say, we bump into each other, and, and we're just chit-chatting, and I say, John, what do you do? What do you typically tell people? Well, frankly, when I'm not chasing my three young kids around, I get the opportunity to play matchmaker. And I do that in the franchising realm. Um, drawn on my experience, as you said, I see franchising from a lot of different angles. And I really focus in non-food franchising. I find a lot that food is um, you know, all there is. And I enjoy opening up their eyes to other sectors. So long story short, get to play matchmaker, helping people find those opportunities that are the best fit for them. Yeah, and that's good. So anyway, there's there's a lot of things there, and and I and what I really want us to do, I, I know that that myself, 
I look at franchise businesses and there's a lot of things I look at and I, I really appreciate. And then there's a lot of questions that I have. And, and I, I believe that there's some people listening in that they have been intrigued by either starting their own business, starting a franchise, becoming connected with it. And I want us to get to answering those questions. But before we do that, John, what I'd love to do, I think it'd be valuable to kind of back up and see how someone gets into the position like the one you're in. Because I know you really are, are perceived as, in the studying I've done, as somewhat of an expert in this area. And I always like to know the journey that people have been on to become uh, somewhat of an expert or a subject matter expert in a field. So back up a little bit. And uh, I think, are you an Atlanta guy? Did you grow up in Atlanta? I did for the most part. So I've been here for many years now. Yes. So, so what part of town were you from when you grew up and, and all of that? And, and then we're going to kind of talk about how you uh, moved into this arena. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I grew up in the Little Bonton area. So over on the east side, kind of between Atlanta and Conyers. And, uh, yeah. you know, I had a great experience uh, in my childhood and, um, uh, you know, went to Christian high school. And it was a very small high school and then had the uh, uh, foresight to, uh, I just about to Georgia Tech, I, ironically enough, that, that's another story, but I ended up at the University of Georgia, had a great four years, and that really set me up. Um, not knowing exactly what I wanted to do, but it's been a great path since, and I'm happy to get into that. Yeah, was there, was there some point that you, um, because I, I, I was actually similar, it was early on in my high school, high school, I thought I may go to University of Georgia, and then I decided I probably should be an engineer. They were hiring a lot of engineers when I came out of high school. But at, what were the stages? I, I'm always fascinated with the journey people go on to end up where they are. What were some things that you recall, let's maybe say during your college years, that started giving you clues as to where you may end up? And I know that we're still on a journey and we're still uh, you know, doing things. We, we, none of us have arrived. But John, give us some clues about some things that helped you along the way. You know, I, I was a type A, very driven type. So I get to the University of Georgia, get involved in the fraternity system, get into leadership roles, really across campus organizations. And I really found that I loved connecting with people and I loved uh, just immersing myself in everything that they offered, um, both good and bad. You know, we, I, again, there are stories behind that. I uh, certainly had the full college experience, but um, you know, my background, I came from, you know, family. We, we were middle-class, but I'd say we were probably on the lower end of middle-class. You know, I, I joked, I was probably the poorest kid in our private school. I was the one that had to make car payments and, and purchase the, that first car entirely on my own, <laughs> um, but had a great family, great parents. Um, but I think it, created a little chip on my shoulder that made me really even more hungry. So, you know, coming out of the University of Georgia, you know, I had been fortunate to kind of set myself up to have my choice of opportunities. And I was very focused on what will get me ahead, what looks good on the resume. And that's really what drove me early on. And, um, you know, and, and that kind of parlays through my corporate experience uh, beyond that, but I was always very hardworking, very diligent um, and uh, ambitious, I would say as well. You know, you brought something up that I have never thought of, but I think it could be fascinating. You know, we like to get into the mental aspect of things here also. And you mentioned two things that triggered something with me. One was you were middle class, but maybe on the lower echelon of middle class. And I'll share that I 
didn't realize until later in life that we were probably in that same category. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't remember lacking anything, but very similar to you, I was working, cutting grass and stuff to pay for my basic stuff. And I had some friends. In fact, one of the, one of the friends that I had in high school that always was our upper echelon, like the person that had a lot of money, lived in the nicest house in the country club, <laughs> her family owned 13 McDonald's. <laughs> so, so I know we're not talking about food franchises here when we talk about this later, mm-hmm. but John, it's interesting. So that was like a franchise, like, huh, there's a, there's something there with that structure and that, that style of business. But I, I also was, I think working harder than I imagined trying to, and I'm going to use my word here, chase after success. And were you aware of that or were you just working hard because you didn't want to, we don't ever want to disparage our parents, but you didn't want to be exactly like them. You wanted to be a little bit better. I mean, give me a little bit more of the mental aspect of that because I've attempted to unpack that later in life. Mm -hmm. Have you thought any more about that? I have. And I'm, you know, I was with my parents two nights ago and I am so grateful for the sacrifices they made in in sending four kids through private Christian school. I mean, we definitely had what we needed, but again, I paid my way through college, bought that first car and it did create, you know, again, in my teenage mind a little bit of resentment at the time and i probably didn't always act appropriately and handle it the right way but um as i've hopefully matured over time my perspective has definitely changed into more of an appreciation at the sacrifices they made layered in their priorities and so you know incredible respect godly parents very thankful but there was an inner drive and i think it's how i'm wired as well one of those that likes to go and make things happen and not sit around and and uh, reactive. So it, it's a combination, I'd say, of those two things, how I'm wired and then the upbringing as well. And, and having a chip on the shoulder may be a little harsh, but, you know, having a little bit of a desire to, you know, be in a position further along than my parents may be at the same stage of life. Yeah. Do you still have that? I think so. And, you know, I've been fortunate. I mean, we had a great run in the corporate career, went to work for a global 1000 consulting firm, did a lot of international work mm-hmm. and then went back to graduate school afterwards, you know, signed on with a large public company working for the president, got to some neat experiences over those years um, and could have done that forever. And, and that's really kind of led me up to what we're doing now, which we'll delve into. Um, we've been very blessed financially, but big verse in my um, you know, mission is really to whom much is given, much expected. And, and I do feel the weight of not wasting gifts that have been given to me or opportunities that have been given to me to try to, to try to help others. So, um, you know, I am not there. I, I fail daily, but it is uh, the, the North Star that I, that I march towards. Yeah, the, the reason I think that's so good, and, and it's something that I use to group people and and you know we have to be really careful grouping people that's the danger of i think our culture especially when people start grouping people by you know their, with their sex their color and you know financial all of those things i don't think we can i don't think we're allowed to group people that way but i group people by either they're growing or they believe they're just going to kind of stay the same and there's a book years ago i talk a lot about it it's uh uh, you know, mindset by, by, I think, Carol Dweck. And it's talking about people either have a growth mindset or a fixed mm-hmm. mindset. 
And something I've noticed about everyone that we have, every guest we have, that appears to be doing something, they have this growth mindset. Uh, and, and that's almost what you just said. It's not like I'm guessing, and you tell me, I'm gonna let you, you know, respond to this. I'm guessing there's not a dollar amount that you will say, oh, whew, all right, honey, let's just kind of kick back and relax. We're good, let's go get a boat. We'll go down to the lake, down at Lake Oconee there and get us a place and we're done. I'm gonna play golf. Uh, I'm guessing there's not even a role or a business place that you'll get to where you say, okay, that's it. I'm guessing that you're in this until you move on to the next realm. Is that a correct statement? Yes and no. And I think it's a, it's something that weighs on my mind daily in, in how I use my time with young kids. I'm certainly prioritizing time over money. However, um, it's easy to say that and the daily choices, you know, sometimes would tell otherwise. But I am fortunate to be yeah. part of a group, the Entrepreneurs Organization, and we've got uh, just some other business leaders, some of whom have had mm -hmm. successful exits, but they all are wired the same way in that, you know, I think, you know, having turned 40 a year and a half ago, it's just really changed my mindset a little bit to what matters. And I'm still in this uh, journey of discovery, if you will, but I, I, I definitely, you know, want to be in a different place five years from now, 10 years from now, and um, you know, be able to do more pro bono work, more advising. You know, I've I've got some gray hair now, and so you know, I enjoy mentoring young, younger folks, and uh, you know, kind of see that as the path forward. So no, it's definitely been an evolution, and continues to be for me personally. Sure, yeah, that's good. There was one other thing you said about your college uh, career that I I don't we don't want to go into detail, but I I love that you said you experience you had the full college experience. I, we're not going to go into that, but I think I know what that means. And I think that I probably had that also. But uh, anyway, I think it kind of helps to kind of do some that, some of that at times. I hear of people that go through and they remain grounded the entire time they're there. And I like that. That's not my story. Doesn't sound like it was your story either. And so, uh, you know what? I think it helps us appreciate where we are now even more. You know, you mentioned as you came out of school, you, I think you worked for a little while, then we went back, got graduate degrees and things like that. And I think before we really go into a lot of uh, where you're at now, I would love for you to maybe give us a few takeaways that you're still using from those work experience, graduate school, whatever, just a few takeaways, because you mentioned a few work experiences, things that you've taken away that you say, okay, wow, that was valuable, and I am still using that, either regularly or on a semi-regular basis. What are a few of those items? Yeah, great question. And this is really off the top of my head, but a few things come to mind. You know, so the, the first firm I worked for was Accenture, and Accenture was you know, a large consulting firm, had a good run with them. I hated the training. I was not ideated. They put me into a lot of um, roles that were frankly strength and I didn't enjoy, but I chose to muscle through them and, uh, you know, kind of mm -hmm. played my strengths as much as I could. And that served me really well. And, uh, you know, just sticking with it. I think today it's so easy to give up on things, but I stuck with it. You know, that first year out of college, I went back and lived with my parents for one year, save and, um, you know, I was grinding. It wasn't fun. It was not I was grinding and, you know, I was making a fairly low salary at the time relative to some of my peer group. Well, some of the, some of those peers have gone on to do great things, but who started out really fast have since 
they never really humbled themselves. And as a result, when it didn't work out, they weren't willing to start again at the bottom of the totem pole. And so I think there's something about grinding early on and being willing to pay the dues, knowing that that's not going to be the forever role or the forever opportunity. Um, but there's seasons. I'm a big believer in seasons. And when I look back, mm -hmm. sometimes people that I knew and I'm now able to share in my mentoring, they, they weren't willing to pay the price in certain seasons when it was a grind season. And, uh, and, and just kind of, compounds later in life. So I'd say that was one takeaway. You know, another takeaway, you know, when I went to work, uh, you know, like I said, for a large public company after grad school, I got to work for the president, which was great. On the little airplane, I was doing investor relations, uh, you know, all sorts of neat things going on. But he gave uh, my other boss, who's our head of sales, a little bit too long of a leash. And long story short, we ended up in an investigation in which the sec and the doj came in there were some funny games going on behind the scenes with my two bosses and so you know, i had my own representation we went through the whole process with the fbi and you know department of justice you know felt like a grisham novel i saw eric Holt on the wall you know as i learned me with the government every day very trying time definitely knocked me to my knees but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger ultimately these two guys one of whom was a good man, uh, the, the president, the other was not so good of a guy in hindsight, um, made some bad choices that ultimately got them indicted. Um, it ended up helping my career over time in, a, in an odd sort of way. Um, but I could sleep a bit, you know, close my eyes at night knowing I hadn't done anything wrong, even though by association I was in on emails that in hindsight could have been read a different way. So very trying time. And so you just never know it. That came up nowhere so you never know what's around the corner and ultimately your integrity and you know that you've done things the right way you even though it's trying you can still uh, go to bed confident yeah would that have been maybe one of the biggest uh, uh i'd say challenges issues you know uh, gut checks whatever word you want to use would that be your biggest to date that you could think of anything else or is that the biggest one you've dealt with i would say that that was the sounds big sounds big yeah. listen that that's pretty big you know when you've got all the all the three-letter government agencies showing up and asking you questions that can be fun yeah no i say that was probably the most trying time and i was a newlywed at the time and had a young child on the way um, you know, it definitely, you know, I like to be in control. I like the controllables. And when things are outside of my control, as in a lot of instances of that uh, situation, it's hard. It's hard. So I had yeah. to trust. So there are probably people that have had to interact. And, and the details, I don't think the details are as important as, important as the general challenge that that you were in i don't even, there's got to be a better word than that but we'll just leave leave that for now if you had that situation to do over again because it sounds like there's a lot of value in the actual work you were doing and truthfully there's probably a lot of value in the fact that you went through it mm -hmm. <laughs> but if you had that to do over again if we backed up you know to john at uh, you know, you stepping foot in that company or you being interviewed or whatever we want to look at, what might you do differently? What would be a learning point that you might do differently now that someone listening in said, Ooh, that's, that's a really good nugget for me because I'm learning from someone who went through what I'm getting close to going through or in the process of seeing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a general rule, you know, be careful what you put in email, knowing that those could be read by third parties that don't understand the intention behind uh, messages. I'd say also, um, you know, early on with investigation, this is somewhat detailed here, but 
in that investigation, you know, there was a lot of pressure put on me to answer certain questions that I frankly didn't know that there were things that may have happened a couple of years before. And so I'm trying my best to recollect at times that I would say, here's how I think it happened. But, you know, I would say, if you don't know, don't know, D don't try to uh, guess at something. So in hindsight, I probably would say, I don't remember more often. Yeah, because unfortunately you mentioned control earlier and I've got that high control gene also and saying we don't know is not typically in our dna and you 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 talked about the word humbling and things like that earlier and i i you know to say i don't know the answer or i don't know that's that's powerful that's i'm finding myself the older i get i'm 57 now so i'm good good year, good generation ahead of you i'm finding myself doing that more and more john that that literally in my 30s and 40s i was probably thinking i knew a lot more than i did and now i'm really going huh i don't really and really i think back i'm not sure that i knew as much back then either so anyway i i, I appreciate you sharing that because i know that i've gone through similar things those are the things that we typically would rather not talk about but many times they're why we are the people that we are today Anyway, well, John, we were, we were going to be, I think, transitioning anyway and discussing more details about things you've learned in, in all your businesses that lead up to where you are now, because I do believe our, like I said earlier, our life's a journey. And uh, before I do that, though, you mentioned a word earlier called seasons. You talked about some seasons that you were in in the past of grinding it out. And you mentioned earlier that you've just turned 40. And I love the word seasons because in my quiet time with the Lord, I will often uh, get from the Lord that this is a season that I'm in that I'm to do this or to to slow down or speed up or it's actually interesting I never get to speed up I've never heard from the Lord I need to go faster I've always heard be patient and slow down that's usually what I get but uh, kind of fascinating there but I'm just curious what what season how would you define the season that you are in now and what does that look like you know, I mean, it's a season where, you know, I have to stop and remind myself what to be grateful for. That, that I've got a beautiful family, good health. I love what I do from an occupation standpoint, good community. Um, so it's a season of recognizing gratitude. We're also in a season where we're building a home and we should be done in the next month. And it, they, we're grinding on that, but it's, it's going to set us up and just be a great place for the family for many years to come and allow us to do a lot of entertaining. So it's a season where there's this light at the end of the tunnel. But what I found is in my life, every season feels like there's a light at the end of the tunnel if I push through. And so I'm in a season as well of stop and smell the roses, enjoy the kids while they're young. Don't let this time pass you by. Cause as you said earlier, I mean, how much is enough? And you know, I, I do, that is a constant reminder to me. I had a friend that asked me that at lunch the other day, how much is enough? And there's not a dollar figure I'd point to. There's not a, you know, level of success that I would say that's enough. Yeah. But I do feel like there are these lights at the end of the tunnel that I'm always going towards. And so it's, hey, enjoy the time in the tunnel too. And it's usually pretty good. Yeah, that's so good. And it, it's such a weird thing. And I don't know if this is like older guy sharing with a guy a few years younger, but I'm in this odd season where the less I do, the more financial provision it seems like the Lord is bringing into us. 
And, and my wife and I are just enjoying this interesting season where we're now grandparents, which by the way, children are awesome. Grandchildren are awesome times 10. <laughs> and, and it's just like really cool. And for someone who is control, I've grinded out to, it's really tough for me. I'm finding some identity issues that I'm dealing with in doing less what I perceive as work. So anyway, I, I don't know if I say that to encourage you or stretch you or say, anyway, wait a few years and see what happens then. You know, I, I do like to talk to hard chargers, people that are in the positions you're in. I do like to have the conversation about money because I think it's valuable, especially when we bring someone that's got a faith to them, a faith component to your life. Uh, obviously, you you know you went to Christian you know school growing up, and and you and I had a conversation about faith right before we clicked record. And I know that many people struggle with bringing together success, uh, you know, working hard, their business, money, uh, all of those things. Can you just talk? I'm just going to kind of give you those words and let you just share your your mindset, your thoughts, your struggles, you know, victories, anything you like to share about it. You could preach if you want to, if, you, if you're open to that, because I like to know how people have worked through that in their mind, especially us coming from maybe similar, you know, uh, demographic backgrounds, because I know I've worked through some things myself. Talk to us about that, John. Yeah, you know, and just being very candid here, I'm, I've been fortunate to be in a financial position I didn't think I'd be in at this stage of life and, and to do some things that we did not think we'd be able to do. As I mentioned, the stewardship piece is a big piece to me. I always feel that weight of, am I doing enough? So in the same way, it's, am I making enough? It's, hey, am I doing enough from a philanthropic endeavor? But, you know, with our children's Christian school and with, you know, our church, I mean, they, they both have big building funds going. And it's been fun to be able to participate in those in a significant way. And, what I found is, though, I still have a hard time sometimes handing over the, the check. Once it's handed over, I find myself much more engaged in anything that I do give to, and I've never missed a dollar that I've given. I, I really have. And you know, especially at year end when you're working on your taxes with your CPA, and it's like, oh, I wish I'd given even more, you know? And so I, I am still an intellectual when it comes around to giving. Um, and that when I do it, I do it through a donor advised fund that I have set up. And, you know, I try to be very strategic because I don't like paying taxes. And so um, that helps That's healthy. Me. I think that's good, by the way, just so you know, that's where I stand on that, too. I don't want the government to have any more money than they need from me. And I don't think they need much from me. But that's just another topic. <laughs> yeah, I think I've our fair share. But, um, no, it's just for, for me, intellectually, just being able to know that I'm doing it in a tax efficient way <laughs> helps and that you know many would probably not you know say say that's important it's much more heartfelt but to me there are causes that we're passionate about and there are causes that we feel like we should be involved in um and, and so that's where our giving is directed but um if i can get creative around the tax side and creative taxes are probably two words you don't use together but strategic in how i give that that helps me yeah, that's good. So, so have you ever, you know, this is kind of digging in that that was a great response. It's very helpful. But has there ever been this situation where you wondered, should you make more money? Are you making too much? I, I mean, one of the things I wrestled with, I'll be truthful about this is that I wrestled with the very similar to what you said, is there a certain level where you should just stop? Is there a lot? 
And then I've actually recently, John, had to wrestle with some money tapes that I had that probably were holding me back in really bringing in even, even in more provision because I was thinking back to some things about growing up. So was there anything you had to overcome maybe about the, the way you grew up just so that you could move into a, you know, money creation or a money attraction or provision uh, mindset? I think growing up, you know, the, there was nothing, there's nothing holding me back from, from the childhood. It, you know, during that childhood, the conversation was never, Hey, money's a bad thing. It was more of, Hey, how are we going to cover these expenses that are cover, coming up? And that was discussion getting creative on that piece. I, I did make a decision. I don't want to have those conversations, you know, someday, you know, I, I want to get past that. And so now I like the conversations around, should we invest in that? Should we shift from this portfolio to that one? Those are the discussions I enjoy having. Um, so there, I wouldn't say there's anything that was holding me back. Um, yeah, that's good. That's very good. And that's exciting. That's probably one of the reasons why you've reached the level of success that you have. So with that, I'd love to shift over because you took your experience and you moved into uh, franchising. And before we kind of go into, uh, you know, a lot of the I'd like to because I really want to speak to this from multiple angles. I want to talk about the business person that might want to franchise and expand because we like to talk about growth and expansion here. Uh, I also want to talk about the individual that might be sitting here going, wow, I would love to acquire or be a part of a franchise. How could I do it? But before we do that, John, I think it would be valuable for us to get very basic and make sure that all of us are on the same page with defining what a franchise business is because that term is thrown around quite a bit and there's some legal aspects to it and so if you could i know you do seminars and all on this so i know you do this quite a bit let's let's take just a couple of minutes and let's get very basic so that everyone listening in myself included can say okay we know exactly what a franchise business is share that with us yeah, I mean, by definition, a franchise would be a shared brand. It would be support coming from essentially that home office or franchisor. And in return, that franchisee pays some sort of compensation, oftentimes a royalty to the franchisor for their support and that shared brand. So that's really the definition. Franchising is regulated by the Federal Trade Commission. So there are some businesses out there that may be acting as franchises, but they're not set up to be one. But you know, the FTC really requires franchise systems to have very thorough franchise disclosure documents that you know provide anyone that were to buy into a franchise they want them going in eyes wide open they want them to have all the information and the history and the expectations of that franchisor to the franchisee ahead of time so um, th that's how uh, the textbook definition would go right right that's good and and i and i like that you brought in that the ftc's involved because you're correct i mean back in the early 2000s I interacted with some people and they would use the term that they were starting a franchise type business. I think they were skirting some things that, that could prevent, could, could cause challenges because basically there's the business opportunity aspect of this where you are selling that opportunity to individuals or groups or whatever. And that's the reason that the FTC is involved and some people attempt to skirt that. So, so how did you, 
get into franchising? I mean, you've already mentioned your corporate background earlier. That at some point, you moved into this arena and realized you were either really good at it or you, you trained yourself in it. So tell us about that transition from that corporate situation that we talked about earlier into a franchise structure. Yeah, absolutely. So my transition, about five years ago, I was... I'd had enough of the public company world. I could have stayed there forever. It was a good run. I enjoyed it, but I really had that entrepreneurial itch. And for me, what that looked like was let's first step in with a private company, a smaller company that doesn't have quarterly earnings. And and I'm able to take more of a leadership position than with a, a massive company like I was with. And so started doing the networking, talking to different private equity firms, trying to figure out where, where to plug in. And during that time, I was introduced to a gentleman by the name of Alan Young uh, here in Atlanta, who had started the Shelf Genie franchise system. Shelf Genie, it's custom block shelving for kitchens and pantries, large international franchise system, large, primarily in the U.S., uh, but it had been an Inc. 500 company, very good growth. And anyway, hit it off with him. I had the opportunity to come in, service prep, run the operation day to day, all the marketing teams, call center technology. and. So in support of our franchisees. And that experience really opened up my eyes to the world of franchising beyond food, uh, that there are other sectors uh, within franchising that people oftentimes don't think about. And I also saw how franchising is, though it's not right for everybody, uh, it is a better path to business ownership for a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs and investors. Um, so really fell in love with the whole franchise model. Um, and then that was, so that was my first step into, uh, into franchising. Yeah, and you brought up something there that I think is important for us to discuss now. I think that if we were to poll most people and we were to mention franchise, we would hear the Burger Kings, the McDonald's, very similar I brought up earlier. So, so why is it that you're distinguishing what you do? And you specifically have it in your bio. I read that non-food franchising, and we don't want to disparage the food franchises, but tell people what the differences are. I mean, listen, we know that there's food in one and there's not food in the other, but why were you so, why was it so important for you to not be involved with the food food ones and go the non-food route and just share that with myself, the listeners, so that we understand why the, there's a, a big difference there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and and there are a few food concepts that I work with, but I, I've decided to niche down into the mm. non-food. And, and again, like you said, a lot of people associate food with franchising. So part of it is helping them understand and raise the eyebrows of well, what other sectors are there, because a lot of times that, you know, that light bulb doesn't go off until you have a conversation. Um, but my background's not food. And uh, I personally don't have an interest in food. And what I find is 95% of my clients don't want anything to do with food. Now the 5% that do are passionate about it, but 95% don't like the fact that, you know, in some cases, you know, people may be anti brick and mortar. They don't like the investment on the front end of those businesses, as well as, you know, just the number of staff you have to have, the type of workers that you are bringing in. Um, some people love that, many don't. And, you know, you can't have spoilage with inventory and it's just, being a business owner, you're always going to have a set of opportunities and a set of challenges. And it's which challenges do you want to take on on a daily basis and which ones do you not? And so what I found is most of my clients like me would choose other challenges over those in the food industry. Sure. Is there a difference between, I mean, I'm thinking about the current state 
that we know we're having here in the United States of the challenge with hiring. And there is a, again, I hate to generalize, but there's a type of worker that we generally think of that works in the fast food industry. And, and it's a difficult, uh, you know, group to manage and oversee. Is, is that one of the challenges there or am I totally off track? Because there is a perception of a certain type worker in the food franchise industry. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that workers across a lot of industries. So let me st- take a step back. So a- after being at Shelf Genie, I ended up partnering with the founder of Shelf Genie. We left the company, spun off. And uh, long story short, we're now multi-brand franchisees ourselves. And we have one other partner. So we own a pool cleaning franchise, a home cleaning, and a carpet cleaning. Hmm. Um, me, that's probably 5 to 10% of my time. And then I spend 90% of my time consulting with clients, helping them find the right franchise for them and helping to educate them along the way. And um, you know, I work with about 300 different franchise brands that we vetted from the universe of 4,000 uh, that have strong leadership teams, great ROI models, reasons for being within the space that they operate, uh, whether that be health and wellness or um, you know, in fitness to senior care to property services, there's a wide range of different types of businesses within that. Um, and what I would, so to circle back to your question, there is a labor challenge. It's gotten headlines across, you know, the newspapers every day. It's real. You know, we've seen it in our businesses that we're franchisees of, uh, that one of my partners runs, um, the pool cleaning and carpet cleaning businesses haven't had a lot of challenges, but the home cleaning has, um, what we did two months ago was instituted a a bonus every week. If you show up for your shifts, then, uh, then you feel extra. And it's working. So I'm glad to report it's working. But, you know, right now we're seeing incredible amounts of customer demand. So we're not having any issues from a demand standpoint. But the labor side is a real situation as long as the government incentivizes people to, you know, in ways that maybe don't encourage them to get back in the workforce, um, you know, that will exist. So, again, at times you may have more labor than you need and the challenges customer demand other times that you know like right now it's more on the supply side sure yeah and i love you brought up that you actually have the ability to see i think you mentioned 300 different uh you know franchises that you've vetted so you're able to see those you've got the ones that you've got your your hands really in that that you're running with that i would love to ask you you know we it appears as if at the time of recording this timestamp on it we're recording in mid-june hot (laughs) mid-june i'm doing okay by the way i haven't melted yet uh we're in hot mid-june of uh, the summer of 2021 and it appears as if we are coming out of the pandemic event you know that that caused a lot of issues what are some things that you saw good bad ugly across the board if you want to go specific if you want to talk general i'm okay with either one that uh that you saw during the time of say from early 2020 till about now that was like i don't want to say it was shocking to you interesting to you surprised you i mean i'm a business consultant coach too and there's some things that's like wow i never thought i'd see that in my lifetime tell it share with us some things you learned from the seat that you're in seeing all that you see? Yeah, no, great question. So at the beginning of 2020, leading up to COVID, we were on pace for a record year. Uh, There was a lot of interest in franchising. COVID hit, we saw the deal flow slow down for about three or four weeks, and and then it immediately ramped back up. And uh, ramped up, 
it, it, it reached back to its peak and then some. And we finished last year with such momentum and this year I, on the franchise sales side. I mean, and right now, in what I would call a renaissance in franchising. I mean, there's an unprecedented level of interest. We, we're projecting deal flow this year to be up 40% over pre-pandemic levels. We're already tracking ahead of that. I think COVID has really caused a lot of people to question the path they're on and say, hey, maybe now's the time to scratch that entrepreneurial itch. And I mean, it is it is really eye-opening. Now, it's a great time to be in franchising. At the same time, it's competitive. So we do have you know, those emerging brand concepts, you know, in different markets are going very fast. And so it's very competitive. And I'm always working to position my clients ahead of other candidates, you know, and help them win those deals. But um, yeah, really, I, I think the biggest takeaway, and obviously some sectors were impacted more than others. Um, one thing I would say is you know, the non-sexy industries are now the sexy industries. So whether it be driveways or kitchen remodeling, obviously everyone's spinning on their homes, um, you know, but, you know, it, it's stuff like roll off dumpsters, you know, people love those kind of non-sexy businesses that are COVID resistant and Amazon resistant and just understandable. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we are seeing a lot of concepts, whether it be like IV drips or, you know, ones that cater to the senior population or, um, you know, one of the hottest things out there right now is a truck with a big old crane arm on the back that goes up to dumpsters and rolls back and forth. Max uh, crushes the debris to about one quarter of the original size, saves three out of four trips to the landfill, so you reduce hauling costs. People love stuff like that that is unique um, and can provide significant savings. It doesn't require many employees. Um, like I said, no inventory. So, um, yeah, we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of interest and a lot of interest kind of in the non-sexy spaces. So the, the, the really great thing about what you just shared, there's two things that were jumping around in my head. One is you mentioned that what's happened in the last year, year and a half has helped individuals gain some clarity on what they really want to do with their lives. I mean, I'm, I'm even a mindset guy, leadership coach and all that. And I've gone through that. It sounds like you have too, you know, y'all are building a house and, and I think everyone is doing that. And I think that's a good thing. I'm excited about that because one of the things that I believe a lot of people are do, they're going to gain, gain clarity about who they are spiritually and their family and, and work is going to be a part of that. So that, I think that's really cool. But the second thing that I don't know that I thought of is. And you just mentioned a few businesses, and I'm a business junkie that I have never heard of. Didn't know they existed. So that is really, really, uh, really great, I guess, that so many things are, if they were already existing, that they're becoming, uh, you use the term sexy. So uh, that's good. So, so John, I want to I do something here. Let's just say a guy or girl is sitting here listening in, and they're going, huh, haven't really thought of franchise as an option for me. And, and they're kind of doing this mental ping pong in their head and we're not going to convince or sell or anything like that, but we want to give them more food for thought. We want to give them some things to consider and maybe peel back a few layers and go a little bit deeper. So give us a few things that someone might just be kind of their ears are perked. They're not going, I'm going to start a friend. I'm going to get involved with a friend, but they're just kind of going, I'm intrigued 
Talk to us a little bit more about some pros, some cons, the personality profiles, some things that people need to think through if they're going, wow, this is interesting. I haven't thought of this. Yeah. You know, I'd say on the pros side, you know, the whole idea of being in business for yourself, but not by yourself. I mean, you have that franchisor on the sideline that really is a coach, you know, that's in your corner. Mm -hmm. You've got other franchisees that are essentially on the same team. They operate in other markets, but you're able to learn from each other. And, you know, the better they do, the more valuable your franchise is worth as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously with franchising, you have a playbook. So you're not going out there reinventing the wheel, starting on first base. Instead, you're starting on third, third base, to use another analogy. Um, so, you know, you're really set up for success. And, and another study came out recently of 2000 businesses that showed Franchises on an apples to apples comparison sell at a one and a half multiple of non-franchise businesses. Mm -hmm. So people see the value. Private equity has been very involved in acquiring franchisors uh, over the last few years. They see the value in in, in the model. Um, and so, you know, franchising is not entirely foolproof, but at the same time, if you're good with people, if you're halfway intelligent, it's not that hard to be successful when you're given the framework that you're given in franchising. You know, I, on the flip side, I would say, you know, you are, you know, you, you have to live within the bounds. I mean, some franchisors will allow you to test marketing vehicles or test things maybe in a bigger way than others. But, you know, if you're too entrepreneurial and you have to put your thumbprints all over something, franchising may not be for you. And, and I do tell clients that sometimes that, you know, you may not be able to live within their framework. But um, so many I know, even entrepreneurs that have their own businesses, they say, hey, I'd love to diversify my portfolio and bring on another concept. They love the idea of, you know, having everything kind of proven out and prescriptive for them to step into. So, um, you know, definitely some pros are around it. And you know, what I remind people oftentimes if they are stepping away from the corporate world is, hey, if you're making, you know, 450,000, you know, all in in the corporate world and you step into uh, franchising, you know, you may be making 300, but it may be, a, you know, after you've built up the franchise for a year or two, but it may be pretty equivalent because you're, um, you know, you're, you've got that cash flow. You're also a business owner. You can write off a lot of expenses now. And then lastly, you're building an asset that should have an exit value down the road as long as you run it halfway decent. So uh, a lot of times people forget about all three of those prongs that go in uh, into the business ownership piece of it. Yeah, and the interesting, I love the example because my I was gonna have a follow-up question is like, can you give an example? I know you can't promise income or things like that but you gave a great example of a uh, someone giving up a role of 450 and you know maybe making 300k and in, in the franchise because i have heard and and you can tell me if this is a myth but in many ways a lot of people say that that what buying a single franchise and i'll use that term single because i'm that's going to lead to another question in just a moment buying a single franchise or acquiring a single franchise is the equivalent of buying yourself a job, but that you but you own it versus working in one, uh, is that a fair assessment? Because a lot of people with a single franchise probably won't earn a lot more money with the single. Is that is that a myth or correct? Or I mean, that was the example you gave. Yes or no? Yeah. No, I certainly hear that often. I mean, you can never sell your job. You could sell right. your business, even if, you know. So that'd be one differentiator, but most of my clients will end up buying like three or in yeah. some cases five. And so if you buy three, let's say three territories or three locations, you would start out working one, but you have those others as protected territories. And then you would grow into those over time and, 
you know, along the way, you probably hire a general manager to step in. A lot of these systems are set up to be semi-absentee as well. So you can step in as owner operator, run the day-to-day if you want, or you can set it up as semi-absentee and hire a manager. Like in, I, I just did a deal with a client on a multi-unit oil change, uh, uh, you know, concept, really neat. It's got, got some uniques about it. Um, and with that one, you know, he's not going to be running the day-to-day. He's going to have a manager at each of the locations. Um, so hopefully that helps. I mean, you, you can, yeah. you can buy job if you want. Yes. Yeah, so, so I was really going to ask how different business. And again, you can write off expenses and have an asset to sell down the road or you go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, what I was going to say is I, I was going to ask you to kind of talk what that might talk about what that might look like going from one to, but you, you did it for me. You did going from one to three to five, because as far as scaling and really earning the additional revenue and, you know, moving the needle on your financial position, it does seem like multiples is a great route to do that. And I think that's what you, you just brought up. Is it that tough to do? It's not, you know, I, I do remind people that if you think running a semi-absentee is going to take you 10 hours a week, it's probably going to take you 15. If you think it's 15, it's yeah. probably going to take you 20. Um, but, you know, once you get it going, I'd say the first six months is, you know, like anything is, is you know, you, you push through that and then you start getting that flywheel effect. I've got a lot of clients that are now buying into their second and third franchise brands. So they've got multi mm-hmm. but now they, they're starting to build an organization and a team that they're able to promote within to take on responsibility at different locations or different, um, you know, different brands. You know, a lot of, a lot of this, a lot of the deals we're doing right now are non brick and mortar as well, where people can mm-hmm. work remote and maybe you have a facility, but it's not customer facing. It's not a retail based, um, business i'd say that is one change that came out of COVID. you know we're doing a, while we still do brick and mortar deals we're doing fewer as a percentage because a lot of people say hey i don't want to be tied down to a lease instead of like the idea of you know being able to be flexible so then they have restricted territories uh, that they're able to market in and, and operate in yeah so all right now you've got me intrigued give some examples of some of those that would be considered remote type uh type uh, franchises, because I agree. I mean, a lot of people in my mind, you know, I've got brick and mortar, there's going to have to be a, a storefront or things like that. But uh, give us some of these examples and just rattle off as many as you feel comfortable doing, because I, I love hearing examples of some of these. Yeah, you know, I mean, the property services space definitely lends itself to that. I've done several deals with the great mosquito concept uh, this year. You know, there's a driveway company I've done several deals with this year. Um, you know, like I said, kitchen remodeling or flooring or you know, anything dealing with the home, it, it has been very attractive to people. Um, you know, everything from pool cleaning to, um, it, but a lot of people like senior care. They like working with, you know, seniors and, and their families and be able to help that way. And then again, they're working on the business, hiring a team. They're not, not the ones in the home, but like the roll off dumpsters, you would have a location for those dumpsters but it's not customer facing so it could be outside of town it's an old field let's say um you know so i I don't know it's it's a pretty wide range but um so with those businesses would those still have a geographic footprint though that someone would acquire because i I mean and i guess i always perceive that you know you're really buying a territory also with a franchise are there any that don't have that or is that part of the definition that there is territory involved probably 90 percent do you know the 10 percent have reasons as to why they don't but 90 percent would and, and ultimately it's number of addressable businesses if it's a b2b business or number of addressable 
customers with a median income of X amount or above. Um, and they've got all the software to help define the demographics of different areas. And you say, no, I want that zip code and not that zip code. And so you define the territory on a map, um, you know, maybe based on population, like I said, maybe addressable businesses. So um, you do have that defined territory. And again, you're able to sell that down the road. You know, it is great. Like some of our businesses in the Atlanta market, we have other franchise owners, you know, the butt up against our territory. Well, that's great because we get brand awareness and we get to, uh, you know, draft off of each other's marketing. So, um, you know, there's definitely synergies to having other franchise owners close by. Yeah, I, I kind of like that economy of scale. It's like there's that rising ship or whatever. I mean, there's all kind of, you know, cliche terms we could use. But I, I, I like the thought of that because I, I do think that the um, the marketing, the duplicatable marketing models really help. And, and I think getting the word out of what people are doing is one even with the digital age that we're in it's going to be i think it's going to be even more challenging because i think we're about to see a trend where being tracked all the time is going to be harder and harder for some of these companies and yeah. so we might see something old school like billboards or something like that kind of make a comeback which is going to be very beneficial and helpful what are some big mistakes you see people make when not necessarily running a franchise but when they go through the process of investigating or they start leaning in the direction or or they decide they want to you know buy one start one what are some big mistakes that you see people make i think i mean i'd say more, more often the mistake is that they end up getting cold feet at the end they go through the process mm -hmm. and then they just um, you know it, it doesn't really hit them until the end of, of what they're doing um so i'd say probably more have regret over not acting than, than than acting the ones that have gotten in that maybe haven't been as successful you know what i tell people is the franchisor can provide a lot of support and a lot of training in the framework and such but ultimately you still have to be able to attract and retain talent and incentivize and you know uh and, and make tough calls and i think sometimes franchisees get in, in and they haven't had that experience of having to make tough calls and fire people or or create bonus plans and they're outside their comfort zone. And, and I'd say that's where I see the biggest weakness. You know, I, I've got a business partner on one of our businesses and he doesn't have a background where he's managed a lot of people. And um, though he's not managing a lot now, it's just not something he's good at. And I don't think he realized that about himself until he was in the role. So um, I'd say that's the biggest job of the franchisee is get involved in your local market, get involved in the chamber of commerce, you know, sponsor the local little league baseball team, you know, get, get out there let the brand be known, drive that truck around town, if you will. Um, but ultimately, you've got to be able to attract people, fire people if need be, and coach them up, hopefully, before you get to that point. Yeah, that's good. So so would that be a skill that you think someone really needs to have coming in, or they need to have the mindset that I'm going to need to get it? I mean, you know, obviously, there's a lot of systemic things in place that help, but that to me seems a little bit basic. It is basic, but you'd be surprised, you know, for a lot of individuals coming out of middle management that they've never had to make the tough call. They were told to make the tough call, you know, back in the day. So I think just, um, you know, the other thing is understanding it's a business. You know, it feels like you're pulling money out of your pocket when you spend on marketing, but you've really got to set a budget, see it as a business, um, treat it like a business and your accounting. Um, and if you do, then uh, 
you're much more successful. I think where the other place I've seen people fall down is being a little penny wise, pound foolish, and they're not seizing the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Those are very good. All right. This is a little bit of a sidebar question and you may or may not be able to help with this. I think you can provide some input and, and I, and I think if I read something, you actually may help with this, but let's just say that I'm a business owner that is considering expansion using a franchise model. And, uh, and, and I, I know there's a lot involved with that, but talk through some basics from your experience, the consulting you've done that, that I would need to think through if I'm, if I'm even thinking about that, because I know people would, a lot of people would love to expand. They might think that this is a great time, you know, coming out of, uh, you know, all that we saw with COVID and there, you know, the economy seems to be, you know, on a run for a while here. Um, give some coaching or some, some things to think about uh, for that person. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll start by saying I'm more than happy to talk to anyone that is thinking about going to a franchise, you know, for themselves as a franchisee or a company that's thinking about franchising. I don't personally take companies through the franchising process, but I've got a great partner that does. And I'm happy to share my thoughts and perspectives and, and kind of tee up that conversation. Um, so more than happy to engage. But um, no, you know, I would say the pros behind franchising, you're able to scale typically very quickly um you're able to scale using other people's money you know others are buying in they're building out those local markets you're able to tap into that local market expertise around the country everyone knows their local market um and ultimately you're building a business that if you get large enough i mean it's going to be on private equity's radar i mean private equity is buying up franchises right and left because they love the business model um you know on the flip side and you're also instead of a remote sales force People that are putting skin in the game, they have that interest. They're acting as owners. We all want employees to act as owners. Well, in this case, with franchisees, they're acting as owners. Um, on the flip side, you are, you know, kind of on the hook to provide some level of support to them, and you want to make that very clear at the beginning of what and set the expectation of what you do versus what they do, um, because ultimately, you could end up with a lot of kids around the country that all have expectations that aren't being met, and that's not a very fun day to day for you. So, I think getting clarity up front being strategic in how you structure um, the expectations and the framework and then uh, you know hiring good people to support those franchisees yeah and, and one of the things you said there is hiring those people because there's just like we talked about the skill sets earlier there's some skill sets that are required <laughs> to run those type systems that that are possibly different than running a business that you own and uh, I, I I think, I mean, are there, I, I, you just mentioned, I think just hire it out. So, so if, if we're in that role and I think you've got your, you know, you said you've got a partner that can do some consulting, but what would be some good next steps for someone who might be just thinking about moving towards a franchise? What would be some resources? What would be some things they need to think about? Is there some businesses that you just need to say, don't do it. Just y'all just need to grow that yourself. Or, ooh, that's a pretty good one. You need to kind of lean towards that direction. Give a few guidelines there before uh, I have a few questions before we start moving towards wrapping up. People know I've got like a few, you know, three or four encore questions, but but we're going to start moving towards that direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say really is the next step, if you're seriously thinking about it or semi-seriously thinking about it, I am more than happy to jump on a 30-minute call and, and mm -hmm. share my perspective 
former franchise or now franchisee and consultant, because I know what the candidates in the market are looking for. I know what they're asking. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be able to very quickly tell you, hey, now's the right time, or maybe give it a little longer before it's, you think about franchising. Another thing I would say is there are a couple of development groups I work with where they will essentially act as your extended sales force. So let's say we take you through the franchising process, you've got everything in place. It can be very time consuming for a new franchisor to talk with every candidate that's interested in their system. What I highly encourage these emerging franchisors to do is to work with a brand one, a Fran Devco, a franchise fastlane, some of these groups that will act as yours, and I'm happy to get into the ins and outs of the pros and cons of each one of those. Um, let them be your sales force. Let them do the qualifying and the validating and the brand presentations to those candidates. Once they move through a few steps in the process, that's when you get engaged and getting to know them, making sure they're the right fit. Um, but what that allows you to do is it frees up your time to spend supporting those new franchisees that you do bring on board. So I think just taking that strategic approach definitely works best. And so I'm a big fan of it. And you know, like I said, more than happy to engage and talk about it. Yeah, and I, that's really good. I appreciate you offering that because I, being a coach myself, I'm a big proponent of talking to someone who's been down that path or has has access to a lot more information. So thanks for doing that. And we'll, as we wrap up here, I'll, I'll make sure you give all your coordinates and you can do it audibly. And we'll also put it down in the notes so that people can connect with you. Uh, I guess my kind of a big picture question and this may or may not be something you could kind of look in the crystal ball, but can you look ahead three years, five years, 10 years for the industry? Because I know you're, you do a lot of speaking as far as the industry goes. Tell us what franchising looks like in the future. And you can share anything that you're seeing that you really like or things that are good, challenges that you might be facing. Because I, I really would like to put an exclamation point on our conversation with where is franchising going big picture? Yeah, you know, I, I'd say I really don't see things slowing down. Um, I I think more and more people want control. They want to do their own thing. They see franchising as being a better path than going out and starting the next, you know, Amazon, Google startup. Um, I, I think it, it it comforts a lot of people. What I see is the world expanding. I mean, there's a lot going on internationally with franchising mm-hmm. right now. A lot of concepts that we're looking at, at in South America and potentially bringing to the U.S., taking some of our U.S. concepts elsewhere. I recently spoke to the Indian IFA, essentially. They're, they're a group of franchisors over there, and there's so much interest over there. Um, and, and they've always been a step ahead of other countries. But, you know, Australia, I've been engaging with them. And, you know, there's a lot of money on the sidelines. And I think more and more people are nervous about where the stock market is, nervous about the dynamics of the stock market. Interest rates are low. We all love real estate, but only so many good real estate deals to be had. So more and more investors are looking for another avenue and they're seeing franchises as a potential way to diversify their portfolio. So, um, you know, at the same time, I see a lot of those moving into their 50s that maybe don't want to run the day to day, but they like the idea of having a GM in place thing kind of coach and groom. And maybe it's even their son or daughter in some cases. So um, I definitely see a lot of growth ahead for franchising. And I see more and more new models coming out to get people excited uh, yeah. like myself. Anything concern you? Anything at the government level or regulatory level or uh, any trends that you kind of I don't want to say you lay awake at night, but anything that you go Ooh, that actually we're going to have to deal with that in the future if that becomes an issue you talked about the you know the the hiring and all earlier but anything else that uh kind of yeah, i'd concerned? say 
minimum wage, obviously, for businesses that are highly correlated to uh, to the cost of on the labor side where they don't have flexibility on the pricing side. I mean, for us, you know, like the home cleaning, we raised rate, you know, what we're paying people, but we're also charging more to our customers now. So um, it, you need to be able to have that flexibility as a business owner to raise prices when needed in most franchises you can. Um, so I'd say that and just, you know, de-incentivizing the workforce from working, which I mean, that's a problem for all businesses today. It's not limited to franchising. So no, I definitely watch, uh, watch all that, watch inflation carefully. I do think that uh, business ownership, whether it be through franchising or not, it's one of those fat, last few bastions of tax beneficial treatment, uh, you know, if you will. And, uh, you know, especially if you have the flexibility to, to raise prices, you, you have some control um, that you don't in the corporate world. Yeah, that's good. And I, yeah, some of these things, we're just watching it politically and seeing what happens. And one of the things you mentioned, it kept, you know, the word inflation kept coming to mind. Wages go up, costs go up. I mean, prices go up. And that's just a cycle that people think that wages going up is just a magical wages going up. No, wages going up impacts uh, a number of things and it'll impact people in the long run. So uh, that's good. Final thing is, and and I, I want to give you time to do this. You already said if someone's interested in reaching out to you, they can communicate with you. But let's just talk about resources that that you have, and I'm going to let you say where people can go, websites or you know social, wherever you'd like to send them. We'll include it in the notes, but let people know. And just maybe let people know what some good next steps. If it's jumping on a call, that's great. But if there's other things they could go check out, uh, articles or anything like that, let them know here because I really would like people to know where they could go for more. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, certainly feel free to go to my website, uh, frambridgeconsulting.com. Uh, and I am serious about reaching out, you know, John at frambridgeconsulting.com. That's J-O-N-O-H. Um, but also, if you go to my LinkedIn profile or to to the website and connect with me, I do have a lot of podcast episodes on there where I cover a lot of ground. Some where, you know, we, we really get into specifics and, and cover a lot of ground. Bigger Pockets is one podcast that I did that, you know, in 50 minutes, you can really get some good nuggets in there. We, we hit on a lot of topics. So I, I'd say that's a really good next step. Um, you know, there are books out there like um, the franchise MBA was written by Nick Neonakis, a good friend of mine. You know, I think it was well done. Um, but, you know, just to clarify, too, there is no cost to working with me on the consulting side. So I get paid by the franchisors on the back end. None of that gets passed on to my clients. The franchise fee is the franchise fee. It's simply a sales and marketing expense for them. So, you know, know that there's no cost to engage, um, you know, by reaching out. Yeah, that's that's very good. And I encourage I encourage someone if they're just intrigued interested want to flesh it out you know find out more to to reach out i know um i know that would be a valuable and i appreciate you uh, offering that i know you've offered it before you communicated with us but i think that's excellent well john i've enjoyed the conversation <clears throat> i always get excited talking to uga folks and uh, folks from atlanta and things like that but we are seek go create here and the question I like to wrap up with is which one of those words jumps out at you means more than the other two and why? That's the final question. Yeah, you know, I, I'd say go. You know, I'm a big believer in not sitting on the sidelines and watching life lived out ahead of you. You know, get out there, get in the arena. Um, I believe activity breeds activity. In my life, 
if I'm looking at option A and B, it's usually option C that comes along out of left field last minute, but it's not until I'm actually in the game looking at option A and B. So I, I say, go get after it. Um, don't be a bystander. Uh, th that's how I live my life. That's how I encourage others to as well. Excellent. I love go. That's a great response, John. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time and joining with us, allowing me to sit here and sweat and put up with the heat. And I actually did better than I thought. It actually uh, worked out okay. I've got a fan going and I've got this cloth here. So uh, I didn't melt during the course of this podcast. If you've been listening in and this has been valuable to you, or even if you know someone that may have interest in this topic, I'm going to ask a big favor here, and that is just share this episode, and you can share in many ways. If you're listening via podcast, you can obviously share it from your player. If you're watching this on YouTube, it's easy to share things on YouTube or on any of the socials. We're on all the socials, and we usually put information about our episodes there. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, from time to time, we'll jump on Clubhouse and do some things there. So just share this. Uh, I, I love I love John's heart. I love the way that the way that he's willing to give and provide information. And he's got a valuable, valuable resource that he's providing and helping people go into business. And I truly appreciate that. You know, one other little sidebar, John, you know, we talked about and this is I'm not going to let you respond to this. I'm going to speak this to you is that I can really see you in the years ahead or in a season ahead that you move beyond even working in this type business and you literally are someone who's discipling businesses around the world and discipling people and just helping. I'm doing that now with some things with the foundation that we've got and I could literally see you with all that you've learned and all the skills that you have doing that and so I'm excited to kind of watch what goes on with you. 10 years down the road and all. So that's really, really cool. So anyway, thank you so much for listening in. I appreciate John for taking the time. And uh, until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.